what's going on? It's Chris Carino. This is the Voice of the Nets podcast. Today, we're going to tell the story of Adam Caporn. Uh, I'm really intrigued by a lot of these wonderful people in the Nets organization who have these terrific personal, professional journeys. Uh, so many of you reached out in our previous episode where we spotlighted Ryan Forehand Kelly, the Nets assistant coach, and how he traveled the world in before discovering what it was that he wanted to do to lead him to the NBA, and that was coaching. Uh, today, we talked to Adam Caporn. He's from Australia. A few years ago, the Nets Long Island coaching position opened up. Brett Brillmeyer was leaving, and they were looking for another head coach of the Long Island Nets in the G League. And their search took them to Australia. And one of the people who, who chimed in and gave his recommendation was a, a, a former net coach and a former Long Island head coach who has a lot of experience in Australia, Will Weaver, an assistant coach with the Australian national team. He's been a head coach and an assistant coach in the Australian National Basketball League. So when the opening came up in the G League, he called to recommend Adam Caporn and Alex Schiffer, the athletic who covers the Nets, does a great job. He had written a story when Adam Caporn took over as the Long Island Nets head coach. And he got a, this quote from Will Weaver. This is what Will Weaver said about Adam Caporn. He said, he's at the very pointy part of the sphere in terms of modern coaching. When Brett Brillmeyer left, Adam was an obvious person to recommend because he's a flamethrower and they are covered in kerosene. What they love is unselfish, evidence-based, modern coaches that enjoy keeping the game fun, but take it very seriously. Adam is all those things. Indeed, he is. And he's got a great basketball story, personal journey. Uh, you know, that the St. Mary's program out in California has all of a sudden become a perennial top 20 NCAA basketball program. And they're known for having this program that's been fueled by a pipeline to Australia. Great Australian players. You know, Patty Mills was there. Matthew Delavadova went there. Uh, today's game, Jock Landell, who's at, at with the Phoenix Suns, who's become an up-and-coming uh, player. He was at St. Mary's. Adam Caporn was the first guy in the pipeline. He started it. He got the pipeline flowing from Australia to St. Mary's. And throughout his, his life, he has faced these signposts. It's like a build-your-own-adventure book when it comes to Adam Caporn, facing these, these arrows and which way to go. Uh, and he has taken giant leaps of faith to follow one arrow in a direction that leads him right now to the Brooklyn Nets. So here is a conversation with Nets assistant coach Adam Caporn here on The Voice of the Nets. So, Adam, I know even with just myself and doing this a number of years, your, your schedule for eight months is just, it's just jam-packed. It's just your, your entire life is based on the NBA schedule. And then you play that last playoff game, and then it just ends. Is there an adjustment? Did you take a couple of weeks to kind of decompress or did you just jump right back in watching playoff games and does your brain ever kind of turn off? 
Uh, it's a great question. It's a difficult thing to go through. Um, and definitely an emotional element. I found it really hard to watch the games for the next few days. Mm. Couldn't watch them, start, switch them off, download them, struggle to get through them. I don't know how long it takes, but I think about a week start to feel better. <laughs> in a Are you sense. talking about just your the, watching the net games again on tape or watching the, the playoff games that were going on? Bit of both, but the yeah. playoff games that were going on the next few days found really hard. Um, don't switch off straight away, uh, that's for sure. And you're still not. The season's going on and you start to definitely get a little more time with family, which is great, but just recalibrate into off-season mode and not in terms of just getting away from it all. There's certainly, we, we need a break at some stage, but it's sort of planning your off-season. Um, obviously, for players to develop and get better, and it's a big part of my role, so putting those structures in place and getting those things moving, but also for your own coaching. Start to have some, put some thought into who am I going to, what teams am I going to watch that are uh, things I'd like to study, books I'd like to read, places I'd like to visit, coaches, Zooms. Start to think about that stuff, um, and that's really enjoyable. So that sort of helps to sting a little bit, I guess. You turn your attention to trying to get better. Uh, let's go. Let's go back now. Let's go back to the Adam Caphorn origin story. Uh, I have had another great Aussie coach on here on the, in a past episode, uh, the head coach of the Liberty, Sandy Brondello. Oh, and, right. Yeah, and and she has this great Australian basketball origin story of her father putting up a hoop in a grass field at her, uh, you know, she lived on uh, sugarcane plantation basically right. by the coast. Uh, yeah. She stayed in shape by carrying big pipes across the sugarcane fields. Uh, do you yeah. have an, a basketball origin story as exotic as that? Definitely not as exotic okay. as that. I'm from the opposite sort of corner of the country. Mm-hmm. Um, I think basketball really happened for me, a bit of timing. Um, Michael Jordan, the pro team, sort of an hour from where I lived, won a championship in Australia. But we moved to the country, sort of from suburbia when I was eight to the country and small hobby farm, not many other kids around and you can play by yourself. So dad puts a hoop up in the backyard. That's what it spends your time doing. Yeah, And then uh, sort of got the bug when I – sort of started making some teams and there was a national championship in Australia. And you go on your first trip and the friendships are that and we we happened to win and that whole spark was really exciting. So your your, your family, you made it sound like your family had a farm or something. Is that was that the family like a, business? Acreage, little hobby farm. No, that like industrial cleaning business, cleaning navy ships. Wow. Neither neither parent really played basketball, knew a little bit about it. Um but my dad was really thoughtful about when I showed real interest in it, like driving me to teams and finding coaches and, you know, building the court in the backyard. And my brother and I, I got a younger brother. We just put hours in, in the backyard. It was really, and how I remember it is just fun living in my imagination, pretending you're, you know, playing for the Perth Wildcats and, <laughs> and the NBA even. But, yeah. Well, I was going to ask you because, you know, if you're, if you're, every kid is in that, situation shooting on a hoop by themselves and they're doing the countdown and you know and, mm. and and what was you know i know here in the united states in new york city kids are saying well you know we're here we're at barclay center it's the uh, final second is the championship game um yeah what was what was your dream there at that point you said it was perth or it was melbourne or it was it was the australian league 
no combination. Yeah. Definitely the NBA. You know, like Michael yeah. Jordan, it hit our shores. And then as I was a bit older, more sort of awareness of other NBA teams. Did you get the games? Were you able to watch? No, mostly like Michael Jordan, Come Fly With Me video. I remember that, <laughs> watching that a thousand times. Reverse layups. <laughs> we, I don't, do, you know, do you know Lee Ellis? He used to be a part of the NBA TV. He's an Australian guy. He, we had him on. He's touring the world doing pickup games. And he said that you know he was growing up in Australia and he used to somehow, uh, somebody gave him a VHS of uh, 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 an all-star, NBA all-star game. And, right. and that's how he started back when the NBA All-Star game was like very competitive, you know, back in those days yeah. in the 80s and early 90s. And he said that's kind of what turned him on to the NBA. So I guess similar yeah. situation to you. Yeah, that VHS, you watch it over and over. And the, the athleticism of the NBA just caught your attention. We hadn't seen anything like it. And then I do actually remember, uh, you know, there's Division II semi-professional teams throughout Australia. And we had a, an U.S. import, he ran a camp and he took a real interest in me and and uh, helped me sort of, I don't know, get some skills early. And, and I remember him teaching us really simple things like layup footwork. We're like, wow, how exciting. Yeah. Like it was really, it was really cool trying to figure it out with my dad and my brother. And that's what, I just remember it being so much fun. Yeah. yeah. Were there other sports in, that you were interested in at the time? Yeah. So I was much more uh, an Australian football player, like AFL, Aussie Rules. Aussie that Rules. The thing we were most serious about, played competitively, played all the way through to like sort of junior year, high, senior year of high school until basketball sort of forced to make a decision and, and a lot of uh, track and field for me, middle distance running. Was that was basketball kind of a niche thing or was it a, is it a, is it a mainstream? Like you're going to a high school in a rural area in Australia. Is, is basketball the kind of thing that a lot of people play or was it kind of a little of a niche sport? Niche sport, for yeah. sure. I remember my high school team was coached by the math teacher. We had five players. I played center and point <laughs> guard. Uh, one of my friends who's a, a, quite a famous author now, I used to tell him when the other team shoots, just run down our end because there's no point you being down here. <laughs> and uh, the math teacher coached the team, bought us uniforms. When we showed up for one of our games, I remember uh, one of the other players saying, oh, we're playing inside, playing indoors. That's surprising. <laughs> like, that was our high school team. So definitely a niche sport. And that's why uh, you know, I said I had to choose. Eventually, I sort of got identified, invited, and offered a scholarship to the Australian Institute of Sport which is where the NBA Global Academy is now. And that was very exciting. And that sort of yeah. gave me a I'm gonna say, serious ha- possible education. How do you go from rural Australia, five guys on the team, the math teacher coaching, this is not exactly like IMG, you know, <laughs> and then you get you get discovered by a Division One NCAA team in St. Mary's because you're, you're, you're kind of, everybody knows St. Mary's now as, um, a team they, they watch in the NCAA tournament every year. It's always led by some tough Australian guards. And uh, and they've had this great rivalry now with Gonzaga and they become a national power. You were kind of the first guy in that pipeline to go over there. So what was the, how do you get discovered as, as, as a high school player, like you said, and described so well to now where you're going? I know St. Mary's wasn't the power that it is now, but at the time it's still an NCAA Division One team in a, in a big conference. How does, how does that transition take place? 
It does seem crazy it considering is. the situation. Yeah. <laughs> I just explained. But, so that was my high school team. But of course, club sport is bigger than school sport in Australia for the most part. So there were, there were clubs and that the structures of Australian sport and the development pathway in basketball in particular is really strong. Um, so there was like a progression. We had a, um, a state head coach. It's Western Australia, big area. We used to drive an hour in the morning to get individual coaching twice a week, 4.30 a.m. wake up. So I was doing that sort mm. of stuff for a couple of years. So there was this this structure that got you started. But we uh, we went to our national championships. We won it. I got this invite to our national academy, essentially. Australian Institute of Sports, now called the Basketball Australia Centre of Excellence, the NBA Global Academy is set up in partnership there in Canberra. And so that was like going to prep school, went for a year and a half, and that was three sessions a day, full basketball education, junior national teams overseas, played in a D2 Pro League. Um, so that was pretty serious and intense and, and really fun. And But I do remember the coach um, – Great coach, mentor, father figure to me. Um, one of my memories is after one of the games, him just sort of, what are you doing? Asking me that. I'm like, what do you mean? He said, you just get the ball and run around crazy. <laughs> and uh, funny to think back. You really just, you know. Who was that? His name is Marty Clark. He's the uh, director of the NBA Global Academy now. But uh, it- sort of think back on those first few practices and games at that sort of that, just having no idea what I was doing essentially and, and going from that to getting a college scholarship and getting to come to America and play college basketball within that sort of 18-month period was, you know, I owe a lot to that program and loved it. So it wasn't exactly a straight line from your, your five-man team in, in high school to to no. St. Mary's. There's a, but, it's only, but not a, 18 months is not a long period of time for all that to happen. And now you had to seek out going to those places or did someone see you play and say, Hey, you should go, you should come and work out here and, and try and get into the national program. So it was pretty innocuous. I didn't know a lot about college basketball. My parents weren't in sport. Um, I thought and at that time, a lot of people stayed in Australia. So I thought I would just play for one of the pro teams and mm. study on the side and, um, some of the some players have started to go to college more and more, and guys that had gone to the pro league would say, oh, "I wish I'd gone to college." And I liked school; um, definitely wanted wanted that to be part of my pathway. So, yeah, the coaches said you should consider college as an option, and I remember just saying, "Okay." And they would use their networks to, I guess, try and help you and put out word, let's say, um, and then. A few teams, Arizona State and Stanford came to Australia and we played them. And Randy Bennett got the tape of that. He's the St. Mary's coach of that Arizona State game. I got a phone call from him. He said, do you want to come here? Unlike the second phone call, I said, yeah, sounds good. (laughs) Got on a plane, school had started, no visit, showed up. I remember walking in the dorm room, no linens, didn't know what to do. Practice the next day. It was great. So this was not a. This was not a. You were going to visit to see if you wanted to go. This was just on uh, just a blind date, and you showed up, and you get married. <laughs> Basically, <laughs> like like a coach connected with him on the phone, seeing about the right stuff. Uh, 
great location, really good academics, all made sense, yeah. great adventure. And that's, I just remember telling my parents, my parents never visited. They never spoke to the coach once. Uh, my coaches helped me set it up and off I went. It's great fun. And, and, and had you ever been to the United States before? No. Wow. So <laughs> you just, this is a leap of faith. <laughs> well, you don't know any different. You've just yeah. grown up in the backyard and seems really exciting. You're appreciative of the opportunity. And um, yeah, and, and it's funny to think about. Had you, at that point, were you, had you, had you developed a little bit, bit more discipline in your game or were you still the guy that, as that coach told you, was just kind of running around out there? I saying that I think back to some of the sort of explanations uh, from my college coaches was that I was turnover prone would be the nice way of putting it. <laughs> um, and that's what college was great for making, as you said, just a much more disciplined player um, and, you know, understanding the game better and the value of the ball and every possession counts and the pressure of it. And, uh, yes, yeah, so, I mean, I got to – when I came in, the – it was Randy Bennett's first year. The team had won two games the year before, so there was a good opportunity to play. So I started my freshman year and they put a lot of faith in me and I got so many great experiences and improved in so many ways. So it was a leap of faith, but it was so much fun and learned so much so quickly. You mentioned that you played um, Australian rules football, which I've, I've watched, you know, I've, I've seen it over the years and it, it's that it's kind of a rugby kind of uh, game. Is there, is there an element that, you know, people talk about the rugged Australian players that have played for St. Mary's and is there an element to that, that helped that, that influenced your, the way you played basketball? For sure. Um, especially if you're not that good, you've started late. <laughs> you know, like, you're going to try really hard. Yeah, the coach says, take a charge. You say, not okay. Afraid to be I mean, physical, yeah. I mean, I remember the breaking a rib two days before, well, maybe a week before our first game and really? struggling, riding in class, but playing the first game of the season. Different time, but. Was that taking uh, a charge you broke the rib? Yeah, at practice. Yeah. You know, I think our last sort of blue-white scrimmage or something like that cracked ribs um so the and i think that's why the australian thing has worked at saint mary's is i had a pretty immediate connection with the coaching staff there randy but the other coaches too carl smith who's at washington state now just about team and toughness and similar values and a small west coast school that just had a great a great fit and so you know they taught me how to play um better <laughs> basketball yeah. education and I like to think I was a solid player, but I'm known a little bit for being the first at St. Mary's, not for being good. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, I mean, the thing is you did, I think, did you have an injury there uh, besides the rib? Were you? Minor stuff, no. Okay. But, but you you end up using this now as, a, as a, you, you end up in the, the Australian professionally. Uh, yeah. Correct, playing there. But before we get into that, did they now coach Bennett obviously used you as a, a, a recruiting tool. He's probably like, he liked what he saw. He loved the toughness that you had and said, are there any, any more like you now? Any, anybody you can bring along here and say that you started the, you might not, you might not have been the, the Patty Mills, but you kind of opened the pipeline, you know, you kind of turned on the faucet there. How did that relationship, were you able to recruit other guys to St. Mary's? 
well, my, uh, yeah, one of my best friends from the, from the program I just come from was Daniel Kickett, who then came a year later and ended up being the school's all time leading scorer. Um, a great career in Europe and really great player, the best players in the history of school. So Randy definitely had a plan to open the, the area the for recruiting. Yeah. Yeah. To, op- to open that up. Um, and I was a beneficiary of it too. Had a, had a great experience. I don't remember like actively doing much other than he would ask me about some, some of the guys I played with. And, you know, when kicker came, it was a great moment for the school and obviously. Patty and Delavadova and others just took it to new heights. Well, you understand that you're just coming to St. Mary's sight unseen is probably not the, 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 the common event. It's probably not something that happens a lot. So guys that came up behind you, you know, you had to see it to be it sometimes. And, and you were out there and it's like, all right, well, we trust now that this is a good path. And I mean, it's, you know, so you probably are, your, your humility is showing here now when you talk about what you're able to, you know, help them start there, because eventually you end up back there as an assistant coach as well. So um, this is now the gift that kept on giving to St. Mary. Yeah. I mean, that's why I feel so fortunate that, um, that school and that program and coach Bennett has stayed there. And that's sort of one of the other benefits that's um, continues to give back to me. I love going back to visit, taking my kids to games. Um, yeah. I mean, it's a perennial it was, top 20 uh, team now. Yeah. I mean, he's a great, great coach. And uh, I had so many great players as well. Obviously one of the things I was going to say about it is, my relationship with coach was really strong from the start and all the coaching staff, I really needed them. That's one of the ways I reflect on it. Like I didn't know what I was doing. I just got on the plane. I didn't really have a lot of support from home. That's not a criticism or anything I regret, you know, just from a different place. And my parents were like, yeah, go to school. Great. See ya. Yeah. And I come back in the summer and visit. <laughs> Never visited once. Once again, not a criticism. I didn't know any different. I didn't know any different. Never, Never spoke to the coach on the phone. Um, so I relied on the coaching staff and coach Bennett would talk to me about one day you'll come back here and coach just in, and then I didn't think much of it at the time, but, um, as my playing career finished, finished prematurely due to injury, you know, that sort of support I got from him and other coaches I had along the way was, was huge for me. So that was in you, now you end up in Australia playing professionally after St. Mary's. That's where you had an injury that kind of ended your, what was, what was the dream for you? Uh, at any point, you know, what was the highest level you thought you could achieve? I was trying to make a national team, go to Olympics, world championships. And so I was in camps, a reserve, never making the team. Um, as I was knocking on the door a little bit, um, and I was trying to get in and you know, be a, a role player, let's put it generously. Um, I was a starter in, the, in our national league at that time. Um, as I was knocking on that door, I was at camp uh, day one and there's this new young point guard and he first possession of the first scrimmage, picks me up full court, then he gets the ball, blows past me, scores it and I was really confused and frustrated and on the, I sub out after that play. I'm like, God, chastising myself. I've got to get myself ready to play. Well, that was Paddy. <laughs> and so pretty quickly it was I wasn't going to make that team over him. He made that one. Uh, and so that was the dream and that to sort of 
go to Olympics and things like that. Um, and that's why I sort of mentioned that sort of those, those relationship I had with Coach Bennett and other coaches, certainly the support I had as I got injured and been able to transition into coaching and navigate that whole space. I'm so thankful for because that's a difficult and traumatic, potentially traumatic thing. What was the injury? It's like an acute left knee injury, essentially like really bad arthritis in the end, you know. Yeah. Nowadays, I think you could survive it better than I did uh, medically, but uh, it was like a, a combination of wear and tear and acute injury. So when they, they asked you to coach at St. Mary's, was that something that had been on your radar or was that something that they kind of introduced to you as a possibility? Had you been had you been thinking about coaching? I hadn't really been thinking about it. I would help out uh, while I was hurt and assistant coach and things like that in our sort of D2 league and, and programs I played in. Um, I was more like pushed or um, by the – the CEO, his name was Nick Marvin, on the assistant coaches, Mark Radford, Scott Fisher, who were with the Perth Wildcats and Pro Team I was with at the time, and Randy Bennett, Marty Glasser. It was sort of encouraged me that that would be a path I should pursue. Um, in my mind, and considering what I've been through, being hurt, and I just, I remember I just bought a house and was stressed with that, my career potentially being over, and my income, I was going into the real world hmm. and going to try and be an engineer or, you know, work and study and, so initially, like, I got help getting a head coaching job in the D2, the D2 Pro League, and I sort of did that for a bit of money and transition and the connections, and uh, that was the first gig. And then assistant coach at back at our sort of national academy. And the Randy Bennett thing was interesting because he was offering it to a colleague or talking to a colleague about that job, and I was saying, you must take that job. That is an unbelievable job and situation wasn't something I was thinking about pursuing at that time. I'm just getting into coaching and sort of, I don't know, just trying to get better at that. And then uh, he asked me and I was packed pretty quickly again. <laughs> he came calling and you jumped on a plane again. Uh, two bags and off I went. Now, were you married at that point yet? No. And then, um, so you so you had that freedom and that flexibility to, to jump at that opportunity. Um, you did it for a while. Now, Patty, you, you said schooled you in those uh, those Australian national uh, tryouts. But um, so now, how how much younger is he than you? He was kind of right behind you. No, it's like uh, six years or something like that. Like I would have been twenty four and him eighteen. Or so was he? Like so he was he? Did you overlap in your coaching at St. Mary's with him as a player? No. No, no. He came back in the summers, and he got hurt before he was in the NBA. He got hurt in he's playing in China, I believe. And he came and spent the summer, and I worked out with him every day. Then at that stage, I was more on the court playing than I am now. Yeah. Um, we would play three on three every day. That was that was as he sort of got back into the NBA. Yeah, because he and and you know he's another one that didn't have. We know his success in San Antonio. Um, but it wasn't a straight line either. It was, you know, going from St. Mary's and struggling a little bit and being on teams where he didn't play much in Portland. And um, so it wasn't it wasn't an overnight success for him either, despite his prowess against you on the basketball court there. Um, what could you but but eventually though, he's risen to a point in what he's done for the national team. I mean, what has Patty Mills been for Australia, not a, let alone the Australian national team in basketball, but for Australia. 
uh, <laughs> tough question because it's really hard to quantify. It's his influence stretches, you know, well beyond the sort of basketball sporting landscape. Um, such an important figure, gives so much back, pours so much time into a to making Australia a better place um, for all young people and, and really inspiring in that way. Um, his uh, IBA, the Indigenous Basketball League, just one great example of, of the many things he does. That uh, that moment, you know, I get to be a small part of when we won our first uh, international men's senior medals, who won bronze medal at the Olympics. You know, I'll never forget the look on his face, some of the other players, Matthew Delavidova's, um, just to have that be so close and have that sort of moment together and then be able to, I think one of the things I realise is that having that opportunity to inspire other young people in Australia was really meaningful to Paddy and he's used that platform to make a real difference. And it's, it's incredible. Especially, you know, being Indigenous the way he is and coming from such a remote area um, and what that's done uh, for people, just as an example, is just extraordinary. It's, it's, um, the, do you remember at the time when you first met him and you're going up against him of, of what, of what sort of he represented at that moment? Uh, not at that moment. Uh, he always had a great charisma and just personality and, and great sort of qualities that I, I think drew people to him. Um, he always had that, um, including his confidence. He always had that. And, uh, you know, that's a quality that draws people, uh, to you and inspires people too. So, um, that, that was obvious from the start. You, uh, you end up going back at, you mentioned that the, the stretch you had in developing your coaching and, and getting into coaching and in the professional leagues there in Australia. And then you go to St. Mary's again, you spend some time there your uh, Australia calls you back now. You you end up going back um, with one of the development, the, the academy there in Australia, and you spent a number of years there before you'd eventually get to the NBA. What was it that called you back home, and uh, what was that transition? I think it's about seven years, right, where you're 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 yeah. coaching at the academy there in Australia. What what was? How would you describe that part of your life? It was a it was a big decision. I was really obviously enjoying my time at St. Mary's and had a great coaching job, Division One basketball, a great program. Um, I sort of I remember this discussion with Coach Bennett and, and just thinking through my own journey that sort of the career growth was, um, you know, elite college assistant and high major assistant potentially at sort of one of the progressions people went, well, they could go to a lower level and be a head coach. And I saw that more as my sort of pathway. Mm -hmm. Thought I could get better quicker. It fit my skill set or what I wanted my skill set to be. And that sort of timing just aligned with that job opening. Um, and the you know the program reached out. It's one I the one I played at and been an assistant coach at. Was very passionate about. And it was a turbulent time. The program was changing. So also um, the the coach running overseeing the program our Olympic. Not one our senior national team head coach, Andre Lamanis at the time, kind of also guilted me a little bit. Like, we need you. Um, and I was very passionate about it. And, and that's, I just met my future wife 
like at that sort of similar time frame. So uh, proposed and we moved to Australia. Then the Tokyo Olympics get pushed up because of COVID. Yeah. And uh, what was the, so how did it come, come about the Nets? Cause you end up, that's you, you, you leave Australia and you were, you were, and you're coaching there and you're running the Academy. And then you come uh, to come to Brooklyn and then Long Island to be the Long Island Nets head coach. So what was that uh, recruiting process like to get you back here? Obviously you're, you're, the, the, the idea was sparked. You wanted to do something different. How did that become Long Island and Brooklyn? As I started, uh, I, to be really honest, I don't exactly know how the Nets part happened. Um, we had some guys that were future NBA player, Josh Kitty and others. Mm-hmm. Um, so we had some executives coming through and looking at players and, and the national team gets some exposure, but... I remember at some stage in a tournament we were playing at uh, in Treviso, our team, I was coaching uh, a former Nets scout, Jean-Luca, said to me, you should think about trying to get in the G League as a head coach. That would make sense for you. And just the way he said it, I, it got in my head. I started asking about it. Um, so that sort of got the ball rolling of just that idea, I guess, and when I thought it through and sort of the journey for our family, the kids were of an age that, you know, they're not in high school, they're in this sort of age, they're just starting sort of elementary school. This would be a great adventure, similar idea. I think I'd really improve and um, I'd like to try and pursue that. And so I was really fortunate that the Nets one sort of came up and interviewed and got offered the position. I was really excited for it. Well, there is definitely, when, you, uh, when you're around the Nets, um, your accent is not particularly unique. There are a lot of, you know, the, the developmental, uh, the staff, the medical staff, there's a lot of Australians around. And, you know, we have uh, Sean Marks, of course, in New Zealand, right there, a little island off the coast of Australia. Um, it does that, I, I guess it's, I have, I have a couple of prongs there, is um, what's so impressive? What's the secret sauce in Australia when it comes to development, both uh, skills and the, the medical part of it as well, because it seems to be there on the, the cutting edge. And I think that's why you're seeing a lot of your countrymen in the NBA. Uh, my opinion, but it's not, I don't know if this is correct. There's probably <laughs> other parts to it, but uh, part of it is we have the Australian Institute of Sport, this sort of national academy. It's not just basketball. It's basically all Olympic sports, let's mm. say. And so when I got to play there, you were just interacting with other elite athletes and you were learning things for, from them, sometimes by picking their brain, watching them, sometimes just obviously innocuously. Uh, well, the coaching part, and when I went there as an assistant, was quite intense um, in a really good way. You were given a coaching mentor. He was a swimming coach for me. You were put through a coach education program, make speak in front of people. It was really challenging, mm. um, demanding, had to study, uh, homework, like a, you name it, um, across different sports. I had to run a practice for a water polo team. It was really fun. Um, and so that was also encompassing, you know, a coach that's managing a staff. And so there on that campus is you know, world-class performance, physiotherapists, strength and conditioning coaches. And so you are 
working with those departments consistently and we're trying to be a world leader and innovative and um, so that place I think was a driving force and I think the Australian Football League Aussie Rules is such a demanding physical game that that sport is big in Australia and big budgets was another thing that sort of drove the physical and performance side of things and the fact that it's you know it's an island nation down there just doing its own thing it just sort of (laughs) That's how it happened. Um, it's really demanding physical sport, and we're trying to find it, find an edge. Um, yeah, those two things, I think. No, and, and I and I think that the Nets as an organization, and and probably because Sean Marks is you know part of it, being from that area of the world, you know, you're you're you want to know the best. You want to see what's on the cutting edge, whether it comes from Indiana or it comes from Perth. It's just you, you want to do that, and you want to accumulate. Um, the people who are on the cutting edge of what you're trying to do. Does it, would having a lot of your countrymen and people who are such an international flavor around the Nets, um, does it, did it make it a little more comfortable for you, you know, coming into an organization that, that has so many people that have similar stories to you? Yeah, I think so. I don't think it was so much that there are other Australians. I think, that first of all, the Nets do a fantastic job um, welcoming you helping with the transition and looking after your family. Really, the family part of it is, uh, it couldn't be better. Yeah. Um, and so important, uh, obviously. It's, it's more the, I think, you know, people from all sorts of different backgrounds, countries, experiences in a really professional, innovative environment that values family, that whole sort of mix of things is just, uh, in my opinion, delivered and executed to an elite level here. And so uh, I've enjoyed every second of it. It was easy in a sense to um, fit in, let's say, but you feel the demands and pressure in a good way of delivering. Um, That's what I really enjoy about this place, the combination of those things. Well, one thing that, that when people talk about you, they they bring up is your competitiveness. Um, I, I I could just picture when you first met uh, your wife and how you know she's an all American athlete, and you guys are probably, um, you know, maybe go for a run and see who can go faster. I, I would imagine that that is it. Does it extend to every part of your life? I've learned to turn it off because <laughs> I was losing so much at home that I had to. I had to adjust. Um, you know, the great, I, I wasn't a golfer at all. She was a, a very good golfer. Um, and her whole family are essentially, let's say, is that that experience I think has been really good for my coaching because I'm an awful golfer. <laughs> During COVID, started trying to learn and play with the family. And now, you know, in the summers, I'll try and play with her dad and it's just embarrassing. <laughs> um, but you know, here you are, you know, trying to execute sport, athletic. It? Oh, it's great. Trying to execute an athletic act, feeling pressure, anxiety. That's a good thing for a coach to go through again. Um, and the good thing is that I'm no chance of challenging anyone in the family. So the competitive side is different, let's say. Yeah. Yeah. Um, when, it, when it comes to your philosophy of developing young players, you know, you go out there at the, to start your coaching career coming back from Australia, you're in the G League. And obviously, this is a developmental league. 
I, I think developing young players is probably more important than even the wins and losses at that level. What do you, what do you kind of is your overall philosophy when it comes to player development? It's a great question. And that's totally right about the, the G league and the, the program. I was in Australia, the sort of, let's say that the number one goal is helping everyone get better is development. Um, and that, when you don't have the, everyone wants to win, but when you don't have the same pressure, it is really liberating hmm. um, and enables one of the key things is a, an environment that allows a little trial and error. We know that learning and development where a player is or an athlete or any learner is in a safe environment, can make mistakes, can intrinsically learn, is asked questions, is challenged, is figuring things out for themselves in a sense in the right environment is just very, very powerful. And so that was one of the really fun things about the G League and things we, you know, we're trying to always do better here and the NBA's got different challenges, but that's key. My overall philosophy is really that you just, you want to take a holistic approach, you want a high quality learning environment and you just want really effective feedback. And that sounds super simple. I think the challenges of, learning and development are that the, the things that's, that seem really obvious are like you think that if you just tell someone how to do something, that's a good way to learn. And as you dive into it, that's probably the worst way to learn. Hmm. And unpacking all of that and helping players do it in a holistic way, they have to execute under great pressure is something I, I really enjoy. When people think holistic, I think they think some time of, of crystals or, uh, you know, um, meditation. It's more the whole self. It's, it's, it's knowing what's going on in their lives. It's knowing what, how to, what motivates people. It's just different for everybody else, you know, for other people. You sometimes have to get out of yourself and what would motivate you and try and learn about what would motivate others, I guess. That's exactly right. So, I used to like to, to say in our, our um, program in Australia in particular that development works really hard because it's challenging daily work, which, you know, it's sort of everyone has in their lives. But you can get lost in a lot of things going on. In the end, the only thing you can control is the work you do today. And then when you take a step back from that, we have a vision as a team, as an organization. We have goals. We have things we need to achieve. Well, the, each player and each individual, you know, they have their own challenges going on in their life, but their own vision as well. And I think you need to help an individual align their vision with the group and with the team. It's not going to be perfect, but you need to find some individual goals and help them understand the landscape and things like that that give them genuine motivation, help them see the, see where they're going, get excited about work because all we can do is the work today. And without the vision of how to get there, I think uh, – can be really challenging. And a lot of what, you know, I think as a coach you're trying to do is make each day a little bit different in a way that you're executing fundamental things, but the athlete is challenged. When they're bored, they're not learning. When they're not challenged, not learning. That's part of the reason it's so difficult. If they're on autopilot, they're not learning. And so you're trying to just push those edges, you know, help align it with the team within the team vision and the things they want to achieve and get after it each day. And what is, how is, how has Jacques Vaughn set the tone for that? Especially since taking over 
this year. He's been around with the organization so long as a uh, an assistant coach, where he was, you know, in, he was he was in charge of developing some young, good young talent with the Nets. How how what have you learned and gleaned from Jacques and the way he's kind of set the tone with your staff? I think when I first well, when I first came into the Nets, one of the things that was really exciting was that they were really advanced in a player development sense. Not just getting on the court and the drills they do with the players, but like use that word holistically again. Um, really care about the player. The work on the court was really exciting and you could see it. And one of the things that's obvious about Jacques is his energy on the court and the intent and um, sort of presence he gives that player he is working with in that moment. Mm. That was something that just was obvious from the start. And, you know, one of my first thoughts was, oh, I need to do better with that. Mm. Like, And all the coaches had these, these great talents and, uh, like I said, across the organisation, like analytics were bringing interesting ideas to development and things like that. But um, one of the things I thought, you know, that intensity that Jacques gives and the things that I found really exciting are that the work is quite progressive. I think one of the ways that uh, we've evolved in coaching and sports is we know that the work needs to be, like I said, some trial and error. More what I would say is open drills, not closed and blocked, not repetitive autopilot drills. Um, and so the first practice, I remember workouts, I remember coming into, I could see Jacques and other coaches challenging players in really creative ways. The passion and energy in the gym was great. The players were into it. Um, those boxes were really getting ticked at a high level and we're just trying to keep finding ways to make it a little better. Yeah. And, and, you know, he was different in his first kind of coaching and you learn from your experiences everywhere right now. And you, you grow as coaches, um, <coughs> as much as you, you're trying to develop players, you're, you know, you grow, uh, and you learn more, throughout all your experiences that you take with you. And I'm sure you're learning as you go here with the Nets. Totally. You're constantly stealing, studying, asking questions. That's what I mentioned about the offseason <clears throat> is that's what helps the transition and the pain of losing is, well, we have to get better mm. and it's really enjoyable to get better um, and put some time into that. Um, and you're exactly right. One of the things I've loved about the Nets is there's so many great, talented people, and I'm learning from them every day. Uh, well, it was great getting to know you a little bit more on a personal level, let people introduce, you know, you know, see and get to learn about uh, the people they see there on the bench um, and the people that are behind the scenes. So before I let you go, though, uh, put you on the spot like I do all of my, uh, all of my guests here. Uh, there was a you know, great American basketball coach who I'm sure you're familiar with, Jim Valvano, uh, who is an inspiring person up until the very end, and he has that great SV speech uh, yeah. about never give up. Something that's always been an important, uh, important in my life, looking back on that and, and his message. But he said that to have a full life, everyone should do three things every day. They should laugh, cry, think. So I ask you from uh, trying to get to know you a little more on a personal level, what is something or something recently that makes Adam Caporn laugh? My son just will not stop asking questions <laughs> and he rides his bike around Park Slope and he's pretty good on it and he will, and just talking the whole time, asking me questions, a million questions about everything. And he will 
he'll ride his bike ahead so he'll get to the corner and wait for me. And when I arrive on the corner, he is talking to a stranger and he is just <laughs> peppering them with a million questions, you know, and I've had to say, you know, don't say my dad coaches the net. Like, like, and this person's looking around, well, who is this kid? How old is uh, he? Just, uh, he's six. And six. I, it's just a funny little scenario that happens so, often. A future podcast host. <laughs> um, all right so now the other aspect of not not necessarily what makes you cry because it's sad but just what is something maybe recently or in general that that moves your emotions i feel like it's important to to experience things that that make you emotional what's something that would do that for you yeah so uh you know when you get into the off season we just talked a little bit about coaching philosophy you start trying to redefine and, and get a little better with your, your philosophies and your understanding of things. And inevitably that, for me, um, as you bore down into it, comes from a lot of the things my dad taught me growing up. And he's passed, but these are like little moments when you start thinking about, you know, the lessons and what you really value and how you're using them. And the thing that makes me sad is that he doesn't get to see me try and execute that with my kids, and mm. I wish you got to see that, of course, but lots of people experience these sorts of things. Um, sure. The thing that it's, you know, the great thing for me is that the driving force for me really is to execute those things the best I can so my kids witness it. That's what motivates me. That's excellent. Um, if you, the final thing is think. And, you know, I, I always say outside Barclays Center has the Oculus, the video, circular video board that so many people see every day coming through the subway, coming into the arena, walking around that neighborhood. If you could put something up there that you would want everyone, the millions that would see it, uh, to think about, is there something, a, a philosophy of life, something that you just would like people to understand? What would it be? Uh, be try hard, have fun, be a great teammate. Adam Caporn. Really appreciate you joining us, and uh, oh. it's great getting to know you a little bit better. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Chris. Enjoyed it. All right, my thanks to Adam Caporn for joining us. Uh, we're having this beautiful weather here in the Northeast. I don't know about you, where you are, but in the Northeast, um, we're having an actual spring, and it's been absolutely gorgeous. So I hope maybe you went out to take a walk uh, while you were listening to this, or maybe you're having a drive out in this wonderful weather and tuning into the Voice of the Nets podcast in honor of that and the Australian, Adam Caporn. I leave you with a lyric from the song Weather With You by the great Australian band, Crowded House. Yes, Neil Finn and his brother were from New Zealand, but the rest of the band is from Australia. They're known as an Australian band. The song Weather With You. And the quote, Julius Caesar and the Roman Empire couldn't conquer the blue sky. Everywhere you go, always take the weather with you. My thanks to producer Steve Goldberg, engineer Isaac Lee. Thanks for subscribing and tuning in and sharing. Reach out to me on social media, at Chris Carino on Instagram or Twitter, uh, and let me know what you think of the show. Always appreciate you listening. Thank you so much for tuning in. This has been the Voice of the Nets. Voice of the Nets.